So those of us of a certain age grew up with Sesame Street. In fact, uh, according to my mother, uh, Sesame Street is how I learned to read. And uh, what, what is difficult, though, to, to, to know now is that apparently I was being subjected to inferior educational programming when I was doing this. See, uh, I guess it was about 10 years ago, Sesame Street released like their first season on, uh, on, on DVDs. And, and they had like a little warning. There was like a disclaimer in there basically saying that, uh, that, that educational research has advanced since the days when we did this and we wouldn't do some of the stuff that we did then now because it could be harmful to children, which I guess could explain some stuff too. Uh, one of the things that apparently they don't do anymore is the one of these things is not like the other. So everybody remember that one? One of these things is not like the other. One of these things just doesn't belong. That apparently makes people feel bad because they're made to feel like if they're different, they don't belong. So I think, I, I, I think they revised it to uh, one of these things is not like the other. Which one's different do you know? Look, sometimes things just don't belong, right? And this ability to differentiate is one of the things that we have to learn when, when we grow up and part of maturation. We have to be able to learn what things are similar and what things are different. And when we find things that are different in a place where they're in a similar position, that's where things get weird and sometimes funny. So you see on the cover of your bulletin, this is, for one, uh, potentially my ideal concert lineup. Uh, this features Getty Lee and Alex Lifeson of the Canadian band Rush, best band ever. And in the middle, anybody know who that is? You can admit, that is Calvin Broadus. Apparently, according to the guest book at our wedding, uh, Calvin Broadus was, in fact, at our wedding. Calvin Broadus is the given name of Snoop Dogg. Known uh, back in the day as Snoop Doggy Dog. He has gone by Snoop Lion at times. Uh, so obviously, th- this is backstage, by the way, at the most recent uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony. Um, one of these things is not like the other, right? Because the two guys, the guy on the left and the guy in the middle, both do their music in front of microphones. But the guy on the right, Alex Lysa, he has a microphone. They actually turn all the way down because his singing is terrible. He mostly just plays guitar, right? They're not like the other. Or you could say one of these things is not like the other in that the guy in the middle and the guy on the right are renowned for smoking a lot of weed. Like, apparently Snoop Dogg is the only person who could keep up with Willie Nelson. Um, But, of course, when you first look at it, you think one of these things is not like the other. Well, these guys are white Canadians, uh, progressive rockers, and Snoop is Snoop, right? But we have to be able to learn to differentiate. It's just something that we, that we do, something that's normal. What Paul is dealing with here in 1 Corinthians 15 is a situation where people are trying to make differentiations that are inappropriate, that are counterproductive, that are at odds with the gospel that he's teaching. So we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 33. Paul says, Don't be misled. 
bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For there are some of you who are ignorant of God. And I say this to your shame. Now, someone may ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? Well, that's stupid. What you sow doesn't come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you don't plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or something else. But God gives it a body as He's determined. To each kind of seed, He gives its own body. All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh. Animals have another. Birds another. Fish another. Many of them delicious. There are also heavenly bodies, earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is of one kind. The splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor. The moon has another kind of splendor. Star is another, and star differs from star and splendor. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable, but it's raised imperishable. It's sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. And if there is a natural body, then there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual didn't come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man from heaven, as was the earthly man. So are those who are of the earth. And as is the man from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. I declare to you, my brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Now, Paul is making clear what he has to say about the resurrection against the objections of people that he calls foolish. This is one of those fun places in the New Testament where Paul calls somebody an idiot. He's not the only one, by the way. Of course, Jesus called people idiots too. It's kind of interesting. In fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says uh, in chapter 5, he says, uh, you know, you, you've, you've heard it uh, said that uh, you shall not uh, bear false witness. But actually, you know, if you call somebody racha, which means a fool or an idiot, or more, which is Greek, so whether you cuss somebody out in Greek or Aramaic, he says you're liable to the fires of hell. But obviously he didn't mean this in all cases because later on in the same book, he calls the Pharisees exactly that. More, that's where we get the word moron. Some of you may have heard that. I wonder, I really, I sincerely wonder what Jesus would be like behind the wheel on the beltway at rush hour. What would he say to people cutting him off? Especially if he had children in the car that he was trying to, to teach not to do the thing that some idiot... Anyway, digression. Point being... That, uh, that, that we actually get different Greek words for, for idiot and fool, and I have enjoyed studying them all. Um, we're, we're familiar with, uh, with uh, Galatians, where Paul says, you foolish Galatians. That's a noetoi. It's the same word that Jesus uses in Luke 24 on the road to Emmaus when 
he encounters Cleopas and the other disciple, and they're all sad because they thought Jesus that Jesus was the one who's going to redeem Israel, and then he's dead. And then this weird thing happened where these women said that he was alive, and Peter said so too, but we can't make sense of this. And he says, you idiots, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Well, here in 1 Corinthians 15, it is Aphron, mindless. He says, and this is, by the way, a word that's all over the wisdom literature. In the, in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, you have all these places in Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Job. We're talking about the fool uh, or being foolish. This is, this is the preferred word. Uh, Jesus also likes this one. He addresses the uh, Pharisees as foolish when he says, you, you're, you guys, you wash the outside of the cup, but the inside is all filthy. You're a bunch of idiots. God calls somebody an idiot, according to Jesus' telling of the story. The man who stored up all kinds of good things for himself, and he said, oh great, I'm all set, I can retire in peace. And God says, you idiot, this very night your life will be demanded of you, and then who's going to get all the stuff that you stashed? And then here, Paul addresses as idiots those who would say, well, how are the dead raised? And with what kind of body will they come? Now, I think Paul would say they're probably not actually stupid. Like that, that might be okay if they were just dense, but these people are probably being deliberately obtuse. They're throwing up objections to something, not because they sincerely have a problem or a question, they're throwing out those questions to try to derail the process. You've been in these situations, right? Where you're, you're trying to describe something that's going to happen and people are asking questions about it not because they want to know the answer or because they want to know how they can help they're asking questions to try to throw a bunch of tacks down in front of the tires they're throwing up questions to try to stop the thing from going and this is the same kind of thing paul says at the, in early in first corinthians you remember in 15 he says look this is core this is core doctrine core belief. This is the the very basics that was handed on to me that I passed on to you, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Right? Like, this this is key. Right? And he says, so if you've got people who are saying that there's no such thing as resurrection, that's a problem. Because actually the core of our faith is this confession that Jesus Christ is the risen Lord. And if there's no such thing as resurrection, if resurrection is impossible, then our whole faith is a complete waste of time. Then this is stupid. In fact, we, we're lying about God because we say God raised Christ from the dead. So we really are in trouble if there's no resurrection. But, Paul says, there is resurrection. Christ is risen from the dead. Bad company corrupts good character. If you're hanging around with people who are saying that there's no resurrection, well, you should come back to your senses as you ought to and stop sinning. Because the fact is there are some who are ignorant of God. And I'm saying this to your shame. You, Corinthians, Paul says, really ought to know better. So when you have folks who are saying, well, how is it that you can put a dead body in the ground or or in a cave and then one day have 
a living body come out of that? How, how does that work? That doesn't work. You can't, I mean, a, a dead body is, is decaying. It's corrupt. We, we have to bury it and put it away someplace because uh, otherwise it, it, you, you can't be around it. What, could, what possible good could come from a, a corpse? How is it that you can say you're going to put that six feet under and then you're going to expect a living body to be raised? And Paul says, look, you know full well that that's not a problem in the world we know. So who likes cilantro? Kelly likes cilantro. A lot of people apparently like cilantro because I had to go a few different places to find it at the store last night. Um, so this is cilantro. Mary likes it in salsa, which is probably where this is going to be ending up. So this is cilantro. This is an herb. Like I said, a lot of people wanted cilantro. I think this is maybe not the best. Anyway, so uh, this is cilantro. This is coriander seed. Anybody ever cook with coriander seed? Kelly also cooks with coriander seed. So, Kelly, do you know the relationship between uh, flavor-wise in cooking? Is there anything that, where you would use these interchangeably? No, I don't know. You really wouldn't. And, and do they ta- what, what do they taste? Uh, this cilantro tastes like... Well, actually, the, the sad thing is to some people, cilantro tastes like soap. Some pe- yeah, some people have their, their taste buds are, are whacked out. Um, but it, uh, it, 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 d- d- coriander is kind of like lemon, pepper sort of flavor. Like they, don't, they don't taste at all like each other, right? Does anybody know what the relationship between these two things is, other than the fact that you cook with them? Right. If you put this in the ground, you get this. Coriander seed grows into cilantro. And if you let cilantro grow and go to seed, you get more coriander seeds. Nifty, right? These two don't look a thing like each other, do they? And, in fact, this is a lot more expensive than this. They, they don't look a thing like each other. They don't taste a thing like each other. They are not used in the same way, but they're the same plant. The DNA is the same. They're occupying different spaces on the continuum of the life cycle of this cilantro slash coriander plant. And Paul is speaking to people who, much more than we do, know that plants don't just come out of the supermarket. They actually come out of the ground. Right? People were much more familiar with like, planting stuff and then harvesting it later. He says, you know full well. When you, har- when, you, when you plant a grain of wheat, you're planting this tiny little nugget, and it comes out and it looks like this, this weird stalk with the stuff on the top. And... And that's, that's, that's what you actually get to use. You know full well when you, you plant a little, a little mustard. Jesus uses the example of a mustard seed. You plant a little seed, you get this bush. Right? You plant an acorn, you get an oak tree. They don't look a thing like each other. But it's the same. The one becomes the other. You, you've got radical continuity between the two. You've got radical discontinuity in that the one doesn't look anything like the other. And there's no time when they do, but we know that the one ends up generating the other. Paul says the same thing with resurrection, right? 
the fact that bodies decay, the fact that corpses decompose, the fact that people may die at sea or may be lost, is not, it was never understood to be an impediment to the God of Israel being able to resurrect the whole of the nation of Israel on the last day. Nobody ever thought that that was going to be too tough for God. I mean, the fact is, my understanding is after about seven years, every single atom in your body is different from what was there before. I mean, we, you know, we, we kind of change anyways, but, but this, is not, this is not an obstacle to God raising the dead. The fact that we have these bodies that, that are, are subject to, to corruption. No, I mean, as we know, the nature of the world is that, yeah, one thing goes in the ground, but something else comes out. We know this to be true in the case of Jesus. And Paul is saying, look, Jesus is sort of the, the, the first fruits of this, right? For now, as Christ risen from the dead, the first fruits of them that sleep. When Jesus rose, initially, folks didn't recognize him, right? And then, after something happened, they did. Now, sometimes the text says that they were prevented from recognizing him, um, and other times it seems like people kind of thought that it was him right away. But the idea is that there was, there was enough continuity between Jesus' risen body and the body that he died in that people saw that there was a connection between the two, but they also knew that the two were completely different, right? So it is, Paul says, with the resurrection of the dead. The first man, Adam became a creature, became a living being. But the last Adam, Jesus, well, he has this glorified body. He's been resurrected. And what he experiences is what we will. And what's key to this, Paul says, is to recognize that this resurrection is a bodily resurrection. And I think, unfortunately, the way that this passage gets translated can be misleading so let me let me try to make sure that we don't miss this in in 15 chapter 15 verse 44 what's usually uh, rendered here in English is something along the lines of it is sown a natural body it is raised a spiritual body and so some people will read that and they'll think okay well, what that means is that God really is about transcending that which is material. That these are just earth suits, and once we can finally shed them, then we get to have the real kind of spiritual existence where we will be not having to worry about any of this material stuff at all, but, but we'll simply have a spiritual existence up in heaven with God. That's not what Paul's talking about here. In 1 Corinthians 15, that idea would be very strange to the authors of the Old and New Testaments. It would have made a lot of sense to a lot of the the folks in the Roman Empire, a lot of the people in in Hellenistic or Greco-Roman culture that Paul was talking to, but, but this is very much not the testimony of the Old Testament, which starts out saying that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it doesn't say God created the heavens and then he created the earth and he said, whoops, should have just stuck with the heavens. No, God created the heavens and the earth because he loves both. He created stuff because he loves stuff. He made us 
made of stuff because he loves us. Jesus took on flesh and dwelt among us. And there was humiliation in that and there was suffering in that. But it's, it's not that Jesus did that and, and said, I can't wait until I can get rid of this stuff. No, he, he took on flesh so that he could glorify humanity. When Paul says that what is sown, what is put in the ground is natural, what is raised is spiritual, he is not saying that resurrection is all about having a disembodied spiritual existence as opposed to a material or a corporal existence. What he's saying is that which is placed in the ground is attached to, is animated by, is is tied up with this current system where everything is under decay. Everything is subject to corruption. Where the law of entropy is inevitably grinding all of us down. What did, what did God say to Adam? That by the sweat of your brow you will earn your bread. And by toilsome labor, basically you will grind yourself down into the very dust that you came from. We know that our that current creation is subject to decay. How much time did you spend this morning just to make yourself presentable to other human beings? Uh, there are things in the bathrooms of people that I live with that I don't, uh, I don't recognize, I don't understand. I could not differentiate. I would lose the game of one of these things is not like the other. There are, I go to the, the store and there are entire aisles of things where I just don't know what they do, Right? But I know I have to brush my teeth and wash my hair and put in my contacts because my eyes have decayed and I have to you know, put on deodorant and I have to put on clothing. You'll be glad to know. And uh, they're, they're, they're just they're things we have to do simply to, to polish ourselves up, to, to wash off some of the grime so that we can present ourselves to somebody else. The day comes when we can't do that anymore. The day comes when you say, all right, Game over. We lost. But that's not game over. That's not the end of the story. God raised Christ from the dead to demonstrate to us that there is more than simply the kind of human existence that is tied up with this current decaying, corrupt world. No, there's a life that is animated by the Spirit. The Spirit of the living God. There's a different kind of existence that we will one day know in bodies. We will be resurrected not as spirits. We'll be resurrected as embodied people. Just as Jesus was. And this is a hard thing to understand, right? This is a little difficult to make sense of. But this is what Paul is saying. This is the testimony of the church. This is the gospel. And if you're not willing to get on board with that, Paul says, specifically about these folks in Corinth who are trying to throw up objections to it, you know, you're just being rebellious. You're being stupid. No, come back to your senses, Paul says, as you ought to. Stop sinning. It's, it's to your shame, I say, that there are some who are ignorant of God. 
the God who is able to raise Jesus from the dead, Paul says, is also able to raise our earthly bodies. He proved that he could do it when by the working out of his mighty power he rose Jesus from the dead. And he will demonstrate that again when he does it to us. The day will come when the dead will be raised. They will no more be able to stay in the ground than we would be able to avoid taking a breath. All will be raised. Daniel says some to judgment, some to everlasting glory, but then we will have this vision that God gives us at the end of Revelation where the new heavens and the new earth together. The good heavens and the good earth that God created together. Not separated. Not one placed above the other. But together as God intended. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that you do not leave us with these bodies that decay, with these bodies that suffer. We're grateful that you don't leave us without the hope of something better than deterioration six feet under, but that you promise us that one day we will know the resurrection that your blessed Son knows now. We pray that we would always keep in mind the fact that our hope is in you, our God who is powerful enough even to conquer death, to give us new life. And we're grateful that now we get to experience in part what, what one day we will know in full. We pray that we would be resurrection people. That we would live according to this new life we have in Christ. Our risen Lord and Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.